Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We are currently in the series, Is God? We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, family. It's so good to be here. My family is here. My mom, my dad, my sister, my son, my colleague is here. I just got family and friends, and y'all are here. So I'm just so honored um, to be with you all. It's just good, good to be here. We are continuing with the questions on the nature and character of God. And as we dive deep into this question of, is God nurturing? I ask that you join me in prayer with open hearts and open minds. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation on all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength our rock, our hope, our love, and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. On this Mother's Day, I am reminded that kids are beautiful and complex creatures. My son is going to hate me after this. (laughs) I can remember the early days of caring for Ellington. It was a family affair. Me, Carl, grandparents, aunts, uncles, nephews, cousins, siblings, everybody was involved in this love fest. It was amazing seeing how quickly he responded to love and lullabies being nurtured and nourished and adored. I was fascinated how my own heartstrings cause a deep bond between me and my child. Watching his first smile or seeing him recognize the sound of my voice. It also reminded me of the times that I had rocked my youngest siblings to sleep or cared for kids in the church nursery. When you hold a small child as part of the community, there's a deepening of love and care that happens between the child and the one caring for the child. And then, like a flash of lightning, came the toddler stage. (laughs) They go from cute and adorable to chaos. Thus begins the child's ability to tell mom or dad, no. Can you pick up your toys? No. Can you finish your applesauce? No. Can you stop running around and get ready for bed? No. Can you not throw that out the car window? This usually had a giggle before it. (laughs) No. It's at the toddler stage and beyond that children get a sense of autonomy from their parents. They want to push the boundaries. They want to establish their identity. They know that you love them and that you have boundaries and standards, but they want to see how far they can go doing things their own way. Children can be beautiful and complex creatures. 
Well, the same can be said about the people of God. As a people of God, God has used many attention-getting tactics to remind God's children that they belong to God. The children of Israel, when they were brought out of slavery with their leader, Moses, God gave them commandments. A big theme for the children of Israel is God's command to have no other gods before him. It's simple. No idols. No meat sacrifice to idols. No idol songs. No idol shoes. No idol lattes. If it has anything to do with an idol, leave it alone. And so throughout the scriptures, we see this simple issue. God loves his children. God wants his children to only worship him, but God's children like to play with idols. Kids can be beautiful and complicated, especially God's kids. So it is in the book of Hosea that we see that God takes a wild and crazy tactic to get the attention of the children of Israel who are caught up in this bad cycle of claiming to serve God alone while worshiping the idols of Baal. God's tactic? He tells the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute, Gomer, and to have children by her. That's right. Man of God, holy, living for the Lord, on fire for the kingdom. You, man of God, marry a prostitute and have kids with her. God says to Hosea, let the people know that this is what it is like when the children of Israel cheat on me by worshiping false gods. And if you read this minor prophet's work straight through, you can hear all the pain that is going on with God. It's the pain like a spouse who has been hurt by the unfaithful actions of the one that they love. God is hurt. God is offended. God is using Hosea's life as an actual object lesson to get the attention of God's people. But it's in chapter 11 that God takes another tactic. God describes himself as a mother who cannot forget just how much she loves her baby. After all the fussing God does in chapters 1 through 10, there is beautiful imagery of God's deep and abiding love for God's own rebellious people. Listen to the words from the prophet Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my own. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with hands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. God speaks of loving the children of Israel and caring for them as they left the bonds of slavery. God speaks of calling the children of Israel like a mother calls her baby to stay away from danger. God speaks of the tender moments, of teaching the children of Israel how to walk and cradling them in her loving arms. God speaks of the deep bond between them and the tender moments when God lifts Israel up to her cheek, offering the children of Israel nourishment. Yes. 
God is bold enough to refer to himself as a mother. Because God will use anything God needs to get the attention of God's own children to remind them when they have gotten off track and lost sight of their first love. But this isn't the only time that God uses the imagery of loving us like a mother. Listen to the words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from their birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. Even when you turn gray, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Again, God using imagery of birthing the children of Israel and carrying them and continuing to carry them throughout their entire lives. God will use any imagery necessary to get our attention, to remind us of how big and expansive God is and how great God's love is for us. There are more verses in the Bible like this, with this imagery of God as a loving mother, but we skip over it. We don't memorize it. We have become comfortable with a two-dimensional view of our Heavenly Father who is bigger and more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. And I believe that when we limit our view of God, we limit how deeply we can respond to God. Now, y'all know I'm a Presbyterian church nerd, so I got some church nerd quotes for you. (laughs) John Calvin About 500 years ago, a leader in the Protestant Reformation and tied to the roots of the Presbyterian Church and our Scottish Reformed heritage, thanks be to God. (laughs) He has some commentary on this reason for embracing a mothering, nurturing image of God. Listen to John Calvin's commentary on the book of Isaiah on this particular verse. He says, if it be objected that God is everywhere else called a father, as in Jeremiah and Malachi, and that this title is more appropriate to him, I reply that no figures of speech can describe God's extraordinary affection towards us. These images that we have for God help us to understand God as much as we can, but there are not enough words in all of the world to explain how deep and how wide, and how beautiful, and how vast the love of God is towards us. Calvin has this to say about God's unending love, for it is infinite and various, so that if all that can be said or imagined above love were brought together into one, yet it would be surpassed by the greatness of the love of God. By no metaphor, therefore, can his incomparable goodness be described. In other words, talking about God as father is fitting. And talking about God who loves us as a mother is fitting. And talking about God who sticks closer than a brother is fitting. And talking about God who calls us friend is fitting. But if you put all of those words and categories together, they cannot fully describe the depths of God's love for 
Calvin goes on to make sense of God's reasoning for using both father and mother language in God's relationship with the children of Israel. Calvin says, God, who has manifested himself to be both their father and their mother, will always assist them. And likewise, that they have known his power by uninterrupted experience so that they ought not pay homage to idols. God is using this mothering and nurturing imagery with the children of Israel as a way to draw them back in, to dissuade them from being cooed and wooed by false idols. God will use any means necessary to draw all of us closer back to him. God will use any imagery necessary to remind us that God loves us like a loving mother cares for her child, even when that child pushes away and tries to do things in their own way. So the real question this morning today is not, is God nurturing? We've already answered that through the word of God. Yes, of course we serve a nurturing God. Church, we have other real questions this morning. The real questions before us are these. One, will you choose to see God as nurturing? And secondly, will you let God love and care for you deeply? The first question, will you choose to see God as nurturing? Meaning, will you embrace these images of a God who loves you better than the best mother in the world. Now, don't y'all fight me. I know y'all like, you don't know my mama. She made me love the day she was sick in her body. You don't understand. I'm really here to tell you that God loves us more than these mothers that we adore. You see, this is hard for us. Will we choose to see God as nurturing? Because for some of us, we did not grow up with the nurturing mothers. So we have a hard time believing that this exists. We have a hard time believing that it's possible. So we must trust and ask God to heal us so we can see God in God's own nurturing fullness. This question of will you choose to see God as nurturing, some of us don't have our mothers around anymore. And it hurts to think about that nurturing love that we miss. This too is a chance to trust God and ask for healing as we allow God to love us deeply. Some of us have great moms who are with us. Moms who ask lots of questions. Moms who get in your business. Moms who will tell the truth with brutal honesty, who will break you down, but build you back up. We have moms who know that we're not okay just by the sound of our voices or the text messages that we send. And sometimes we try to avoid our earthly mothers. But if we accept God as a nurturing, honest, and tender mother, then God may want to get a little too close for comfort for some of us. You say you can't avoid a mothering God. A mothering God is always there. A mother in God wants to get close, really close, and I believe that that scares us. But we too, 
We must trust God and release the fear and ask God to heal our guarded places. If we accept that God is a nurturing God, then we must accept that God is ultimately the one who does two things in our lives. God nourishes us and God nurtures us. Let's deal with the first. God nourishes us. When you are nursing a child or even feeding a child by the bottle, sometimes the child has trouble latching on or taking the bottle. But there are nutrients that a child needs in the first stages of life in order for the child to be healthy and build up that immune system. When God talks about bending down to feed Ephraim, this is one of the tribes of Israel. Again, God's speaking in more personal terms. God is saying, I am the one who nourishes your soul. When kids get to be older, when they're in that toddler stage, you try and give them different food groups. This is when they're saying no and throwing broccoli under the table or they spit things out or feed it to the dog, as I used to do. We, too, as Christians, can find ourselves being nourished by the wrong things. As children of God, we latch on to fear, or we are nourished by anger. We latch on to grudges, or we are nourished by self-loathing. We latch on to the habit of self-medicating. We are nourished by self-destructive behavior. Some of the things we allow to nourish us become idols, but God wants us to find our nourishment and wholeness in God alone. When we remember that God longs to nourish us, we can turn to God to be nourished with love, to be nourished with hope, to latch on to God's peace, patience, and grace. If we're going to embrace this imagery, not only do we have to accept that God nourishes us, but God nurtures us. This is a hard one. In essence, we have to accept that God is the only one who can meet our deepest love needs. After we receive encouragement and, and, and support from others, it's really at the end of the day, God who encourages us and consoles us. At the end of the day, it's God who affirms us and restores us. At the end of the day, it's God who corrects us and redirects us. We can experience nurture from other relationships, but only God has the power to soothe you truly and to quiet the storms in your life and to ease the pain and to lead you through the hard places. When Ellington was a kid, he probably won't even remember this, but he was a kid, I used to say, Ellington, I need your big boy hand when we cross the street. I'm not really sure why this worked, but it worked. I said, Ellington, can I get your big boy hand? And boom, just like that. And every time he would give me his hand and we would cross the street. When I think of God nurturing us and guiding us, I think of God saying to each of us, son, I need your big boy hand. Daughter, I need your big girl hand. Child of mine, I'm here to love you and guide you and support you better than anyone can. Accepting this nurture just means experiencing God in new and different ways. My mom was a great example to me for accepting the nurture of an invisible God. I remember I was about a preteen and Mom would just give me these little chats about Jesus and life. And she'd say, sometimes, Aisha, when I'm having a hard day, I just go in my room and close the door. 
And I say, Lord, just wrap me in your loving arms. And Aisha, I'm telling you, I can feel the presence of Jesus right in the room. Now, I didn't say this out loud because I'm still scared of her. I was like, Mom, you're so churchy. This is like Christian hocus pocus. That's not true. When I was in my 20s, I remember having a particularly bad day, bad week, bad month, bad moment, you name it. Whatever was going on that day, it was bad. And I got in my room, closed the door. I was like, Jesus, um, if you could wrap me in your loving arms and fill this room with your presence, that would be great. As God is my witness, there was peace in that room. There was comfort around my shoulders. It was my first real experience of saying yes to the embrace of an invisible God. Giving God my big girl hand. Saying, I will let you lead me and guide me and support me, even when times are tough. Friends, if we're going to embrace this concept of serving a nurturing and nourishing God, then we need to remember three things, which really is just like one, because I'm a nerd and it's kind of like the Trinity, so you'll remember it. (laughs) The first thing you need to remember is that you are a child. I'm a child of the 80s, and one of those praise and worship songs is called The Warrior is a Child, right? They don't know that I go running home when I fall down. We need to be honest about our vulnerabilities with God. We need to be honest about our fears with God. We need to be honest about our inabilities with God. When a child can't tie their shoe, when they can't get something right, they, it may be even in frustration, but they'll turn to their mom or dad and say, I can't do this. Please help me. You are a child. So be honest about where you are. Be self-aware about your limitations. Be aware of your need for God's continual love and support. And remember that apart from God, you can do nothing. So first, remember that you are a child. Second, remember that you are a child of God. Remember to whom you belong. You serve a God who loves you. You serve a God who raises you up to her cheek. You serve a God who feeds you and sustains you. You serve a God who knows your thoughts before you speak. You serve a God who knows your struggles. You serve a God who knows your gifts. You are a child of the Most High God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you are her baby. And if you don't know this God as a loving parent, God is ready and waiting for you to simply embrace that grace and acknowledge the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ. You have to remember that you are a child. You are a child of God. You are a child of God who is deeply loved. So let your God love you. All it takes is an open mind. All it takes is an open heart. All it takes is vulnerability. 
There's a poem entitled, Let Your God Love You by Edwina Gately. And I invite you to either close your eyes or just take a deep breath. But I really want you to hear these words. Let your God love you. Be silent. Be still. Alone. Empty. Before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that love. Quiet. Still. Be. Let your God love you. Friends, we serve a nurturing God. Will you let your God love you today and every day? The only way to say yes to that is to live a life in sweet surrender. The only way to say yes to that is to acknowledge your deepest nourishment and most fulfilling nurturing comes from, your, comes from God and God alone. You all know I'm a singing pastor, and as I was thinking about this sermon, I was on a morning walk with mom, and this song came through my little earphones. And the refrain is really simple. I'm going to invite the band to coming back up. And it's, I want you to make these words your prayer. It's really simple. It's like an offering, right? It says, if I have you, I have everything. But without you, I have nothing. Let's try that together. You're going to repeat after me. If I have you, I have everything. But without you, I have nothing. If I have you, I have everything. But without you, I have nothing. If I have you, I have everything. But without you, I have nothing. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.